0: We believe that stories are magic, so when we find a great one, we can't wait to share it. Far, far away on the planet Florp, a baby named Bobby Wonder was born, but his parents relocated the family to Earth right after the birth, so Bobby grew up having no idea he was an alien. Until his 10th birthday, that is. Can you imagine waking up on your birthday to find out that you can fly and talk to ducks? (coughs) Created by a New York Times best-selling children's author and produced by the award-winning Go Kid Go team, Bobby Wonder is out of this world fun! Search for Bobby Wonder on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: (gasps) What to build? What to build? Let the show begin! Oh, hi there! It's me, Kapow! The mechanical pygmy goat, beaming into your ears all the way from Pflugerville. You might know me as Lucy Wow's sidekick, or you might know me as the inventor of sneaker tacos, which are tacos where the tortillas are replaced by tennis shoes. Mm. But! Did you know I'm also an expert on the subject of invention? In fact, I don't just know about inventions, I was invented! That's right, Lucy Wow invented me. I invented sneaker tacos, and sneaker tacos invented shoe breath. Which is not as bad as people think. People forget that food has inventors, but it does! I mean, fruit may grow on trees, but fruit smoothies had to grow in someone's brain before anyone got to drink one. Today's inventor absolutely changed the way the world eats because he invented the chicken nugget. That's right, chickens have wings, they have legs, but they don't have nuggets. Someone had to invent them, and his name was Robert Baker. The story begins in 1955. Back then, people ate a lot of chicken, a whole lot the bird had a lot going for it. It was inexpensive, it was nutritious, it was delicious. But the thing was, it was always just chicken. Back then, you bought a whole chicken and then cooked it. There was no chicken sausages or patties, no orange chicken or chicken hats. The chicken hat is another invention of mine. (laughs) So with no variety, people got chicken fatigue. In other words, people were getting tired of chicken. This wasn't good news for chicken farmers. So a whole bunch of people started applying their brains and wallets to finding some magic that would make chicken exciting again. And the best chicken magician around was Robert. Teaching at Cornell was a dream come true for Robert. He loved teaching. But he also loved chickens. As a kid, he'd had a flock of Rhode Island red chickens that he had to take care of and got pretty good at it. In fact, he was so good at it that while teaching at Cornell, he often volunteered with struggling farmers to help them raise better birds. When the question of how to make chicken more popular came across Robert's desk, he was inspired. He quickly started creating new dishes. First came hot dogs, canned hash, and frozen meatloaf. None of these had ever been made with chicken before. And then one day, Baker and a student named Joseph Marshall had an idea, a chicken stick, or what we now know as a nugget. Side note, I have never been hungrier than I am right now. Ah. Sorry, anyway, back to the story. A chicken nugget at its most basic is ground up chicken covered in batter and then fried. Now, that may seem simple, but it's actually pretty complicated. In order to create it, Robert had to figure out two food engineering challenges. One, keeping ground chicken together, and two, keeping batter attached to the chicken despite the explosive heat of frying. Robert and Joseph solved the first problem by mixing salt and vinegar to draw out moisture, and then adding a binder of powdered milk and pulverized grains. So basically, they made the chicken dry and sticky. Then they solved the next problem by coating the chicken with an eggy batter and cornflake crumbs before freezing them to negative 10 degrees. (laughs) In other words, they made that dry and sticky thing strong and cold. There were a lot of failed attempts, but after a while, they figured it out and their creation was ready to be eaten. For a test, they made enough nuggets to sell for 26 weeks in five local supermarkets. People loved these chicken nuggets. In the first six weeks, they sold 1,200 boxes. The whole process, recipe, box design, sales record, even predictions of how much it would cost to build a chicken nugget machine was described in a book at Cornell called Agriculture Economics Research. The publication was mailed to about 500 companies for free in 1963 now here comes the weird part the chicken nugget disappeared for years only to reemerge when mcdonald's wanted to serve healthier food that's right you heard me the chicken nugget was mcdonald's idea of health food let's take a look at why shall we mcdonald's began with burgers and fries that's it but in 1977 u.s government scientists started urging americans to eat less fat especially red meat in order to live longer, healthier lives. Suddenly, burger sales dropped. Apparently, up until then, people thought a daily burger basket was health food. This is why I use tin cans in my burgers. Tin cans are very low fat. So McDonald's began looking for an alternative to burgers that would keep their customers coming in even when they wanted to eat healthy. McDonald's figured chicken was the answer. Chicken is lower in fat than beef. So they hired a European chef who had cooked for the Queen of England and had him start doing the chicken dance in the kitchen. He tried a chicken pot pie, but no one liked it. They tried fried chicken, but their rival KFC was already doing that. They kept trying new dishes, but none of them were working. And then somebody remembered seeing an article from Cornell years ago, something about a nugget. Robert's idea was back in action. McNuggets debuted in Knoxville, Tennessee in 1980 and immediately started setting records. When they rolled out nationwide in 1981, McNuggets became one of the biggest items in fast food history. McDonald's served 2.3 billion McNuggets in 2018 alone. People even spend thousands of dollars collecting nuggets that look like famous people. Now, let's be clear. Just because McNuggets are popular doesn't mean they're actually healthy. It's better for your body to eat a vegetable, or a tin can if you're a mechanical pygmy goat, but every now and then, a nugget can be a nice treat. Now, in the end, even though Robert Baker invented the nugget, because he gave the idea away for free, he never made any money from the billions of nuggets that have been sold over the past three decades. In fact, even at Cornell, he is best known for a barbecue sauce he created. But the truth is, that every day when people eat nuggets, it's because Robert invented them. After all, nuggets don't grow on trees. (laughs) Although that does sound good, a nugget tree. Oh, hi there, it's me, Kapow, the mechanical pygmy goat, beaming into your ears all the way from Pflugerville. You might know me as Lucy Well Sidekick, or you might know me as the inventor of the word slurb. Slurp is a word for a superb slurp of food. It's gonna be a big word. Pretty soon you won't be able to go into a restaurant without hearing, how's that lunch, buddy? It's slurp, dude. (laughs) But I don't just invent words, I was invented. That's right, Lucy Wow invented me to help her build, invent, and have fun. People sometimes think that inventions have to change the way that humans travel or the way energy is created or how to save a life they forget that an invention can also be something that is just pure fun. The world needs fun, which is why the world needed today's invention, gum. You know gum, right? Well, those packs of chewy deliciousness you see at grocery stores don't grow in the wild. Someone had to invent them. Now, we're not sure what the original inventor's name was because they were alive a long time ago. (laughs) How long ago? Well, there's evidence that Northern Europeans chewed birch bark tar, a sticky goo that grows on trees, 9,000 years ago! Thousands of years later, the ancient Mayan people chewed a substance called chicle, taken from the sapodilla tree, another goo, as a way to quench thirst and fight hunger. After them, the Aztecs started chewing this same chicle, but they had a lot of rules about it. In Aztec culture, only kids and single women were allowed to chew it in public, while married women could only chew it privately. And men weren't allowed to chew it at all. Later, when European settlers arrived in the Americas, they started chewing chickle too. Turns out, people couldn't get enough of chewing tree goo. And yet, when I chew up one sock, everyone gets upset. Ha, just saying. Anyway, In the late 1840s, a guy named John Curtis decided to try to turn this chewy goo into money. He took spruce resin, boiled it, cut it into strips, coated the strips in cornstarch to prevent them from sticking together, packaged it all up, and started selling it in stores as chewing gum. John next invented gum-making machines, and by the early 1850s, he had constructed the world's first chewing gum factory in Portland, Maine. John's chewing gum was fun, but there was one big problem with it. It didn't taste great and became brittle after being chewed for a few minutes. So John switched from tree goo to flavored wax. And this time, people thought it was slurb. <laughs> John made people hungry for chewing gum, But it was the ex-president of Mexico who made gum part of everyday life. Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana led the Mexican forces at the Battle of the Alamo and served multiple terms as Mexico's president. But the Mexican people grew unhappy with him and kicked him out of Mexico forever. Ah. When Antonio left Mexico, he made sure to bring Chickle to America with him. He thought that he could turn Chickle into a substitute for rubber and use the riches he would make to buy his way back home. He found an inventor named Thomas Adams and had him begin to experiment with the chickle. but it didn't work. Antonio abandoned the project, but Adams kept experimenting with chickle. Soon, he discovered he could use chicle instead of wax to produce a better type of chewing gum. Now he just needed someone to sell it. William Wrigley Jr. was a soap salesman in Philadelphia. He would offer store owners free cans of baking powder if they ordered his soap. Surprisingly, the baking powder proved a bigger hit than the soap. So Wrigley started selling that instead. He decided to add a free pack of chewing gum with every can of baking soda as a promotion. But then it happened again. The gum was more popular than the baking powder. So he decided to start selling just that instead. Finally, gum had it all. Good flavor and a person to sell it. In 1893, Wrigley launched two new gum brands, Juicy Fruit and Wrigley's Spearmint. His new gum was the tastiest or slurbiest around. But how would he get people to notice? This is when Wrigley did something crazy. He sent free samples of his gum to every US kid on their birthday, and it worked. Soon, every kid in America was chewing gum. Today, gum is sold in countless shapes and flavors everywhere you look. And this makes it easy to forget that there was a time when gum didn't exist. But then, a long time ago, someone saw goo dripping up a tree and decided to chew it. And the rest is history.
2: Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back.
1: It's me, Kapow, the mechanical pygmy goat, beaming into your ears all the way from Lucy Wow's barn. You know, being Lucy Wow's sidekick is a lot of fun, but it's also a lot of work. Every day is a new adventure in building and invention. But luckily, I've mastered the art of the power nap, which means I still have energy for projects of my own, like inventing chicken dishes. Dishes that are made out of chicken. Why wash the dishes when you can eat the dishes? <laughs> Another project that power naps have allowed me to focus on is this podcast dedicated to my favorite subject, invention. Why is invention my favorite subject? Well, because I am an invention. That's right, Lucy Well invented me and I invented chicken dishes. Now today's invention Where was I? Oh, right! Today's invention is even more delicious than chicken dishes. It's s'mores! That's right! Every summer across the globe, people sit around campfires and roast up marshmallows, then take all of that hot, gooey goodness and sandwich it between chocolate and graham crackers. (gasps) Yum! Unfortunately, though, s'mores don't grow on trees or fall from the clouds. No, s'mores had to be invented. And thankfully they were. But by who and when? Let's take a tasty look. Well, we'll start with the marshmallow. Long ago, ancient Greeks and Romans discovered a plant whose roots could cure sore throats. But after centuries of making people feel better, some folks in France decided that they wanted this plant medicine to taste good, too. So, they took the root juice from the plant, mixed it with eggs and sugar, and then beat it into a foam paste. They called this foamy paste marshmallow. And they rolled it into a medicine candy or lozenge that doctors could give to sick patients. Oh my goodness, I wish my doctors would prescribe me candy. This new French creation was tasty and effective, but it was a lot of work to make and cost a lot of money to buy. So pretty soon, people gave up on the whole thing and started using other plants to make lozenges out of. But then, in the 1890s, someone had an idea. What if instead of using this marshmallow for medicine, you put it on a stick and roasted it over a fire for fun? Turns out, people liked having fun more than taking medicine. And soon, a marshmallow roasting fad spread across America. But not everyone loved fun. In fact, around this time, a New Jersey Presbyterian minister named Sylvester Graham thought people were having too much fun and not behaving in a proper manner. He decided to fix this with a cracker. You see, Sylvester believed that unhealthy behavior could be fixed by healthy eating. So Sylvester decided to make a healthy cracker that would make healthy, well-behaved humans. He named it after himself, the Graham Cracker. Okay, so there it was, two new cutting-edge foods, roasted marshmallows and graham crackers. Both were spreading across the nation, one inspired by fun, one inspired by good behavior. It would take an ancient treat to bring these two together, and that treat was chocolate. How ancient is chocolate? Well, the Mayan people started roasting up the pods from a plant called cacao in order to make chocolate over 4,000 years ago, so yeah, Pretty darn ancient. But how did marshmallow, chocolate, and the graham cracker, three ingredients from different eras and different parts of the world, end up getting mixed together? I got two words for you, Girl Scouts. That's right, before Girl Scouts ever started selling treats, they were making them. And one of the treats they made was called the Some More. The official recipe for a Some More came out in the 1927 Girl Scout guidebook tramping and trailing with the girl scouts this recipe was designed to feed 16 hungry girl scouts or one hungry kapow and was created by a troop leader named loretta scott crew loretta's recipe calls for 16 graham crackers eight bars of plain chocolate and 16 marshmallows next it says to toast the marshmallows to a crispy gooey state then Put the marshmallow on top of a chocolate bar and in between two graham crackers and voila! You got a some more. The recipe we all know and love had been born. The only thing missing was the name we all know and love. No one is exactly sure who shortened the name from some more to the catchier s'more or how many marshmallows they had in their mouth when they did it, but That's the thing about inventions, they don't always happen all at once. Many of the greatest inventions have had to travel across the centuries and the globe with people from all sorts of backgrounds making small contributions before they reached gooey perfection. Which is why you should always be willing to try something new. Who knows? you might be part of an invention that leaves people wanting s'more. (laughs) Well, folks, we've come to the end of another Kapow's Power of Invention podcast. Come back tomorrow, when I'll be covering more inventors and inventions. And while you're waiting, you do realize there are just a slew of shows that take place in Pflugerville, right? It's true. There's Bobby Wonder, who's trying to protect Pflugerville from Mighty Mila, and Lucy Wow over in the Big Red Barn, inventing all sorts of cool stuff with her mechanical pygmy goat Kapow. Hey, that's me, Lucy goes big, and then she goes bigger. Oh, and if you like strange and spooky stories, you should check out R.L. Stein Story Club. That's a real winner. I'm in the club, so I get to hear all the stories. And you can too. Keep on the lights, folks. Just search for Bobby Wonder, Lucy Wow, or R.L. Stein Story Club, wherever you get your podcasts. And you'll find your way. And don't forget, Friday's Listener Mailbag. If you've got a question about the world of Go Kid Go shows, Pflugerville or Lil' All Me, Send it to kapow at gokidgo.com. You might get your question read live on the show. It's very exciting. Have yourself an inventive day. Make something, build something, go big, and then go bigger. Until next time, this is Kapow signing off. Go Kid Go! Go Kid Go.